Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, happy Easter. So let's attack some immigrants in the spirit of Easter. Ah, uh, never stops, does it? What do you say? Hello, everybody. I hope you had a blessed Easter uh, and a great weekend and are all ready for this uh, day after. For some people, it's spring break. Whatever. We move on with the big news of the day. Bringing you the Bill Press Show coast to coast with with, uh, all the news of the day from what's happening here in our nation's capital, around the country, around the globe. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us. And we've got lots and lots to talk about as we come to you live coast to coast from our studio in Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C. Yes, indeed, uh, uh, President Trump. Down at Mar-a-Lago over the weekend uh, with a uh, cast of characters, uh, not to uh, <clears throat> necessarily write home about. Um, yeah, do you want to hang out with Sean Hannity and Don King and Janine Pirro? Is that your idea of a <clears throat> happy Easter? <clears throat> not no mine. Thanks. No thanks. You're president of the United States. You can hang out with anybody in the world you want to have dinner with. You want to have dinner with Don King? All right, be my guest at any rate. Uh, and, of course, goes off to church in the morning and as he's thinking about all of his uh, Christian responsibilities and Christian values, he takes one more one more stab at attacking people in the Dreamers program and um, wants to and makes, makes it clear how badly he wants to kill it and will do anything he can and has been doing to kill it. All of that we've got to talk about more, more, more than that. We want your comments on all the news of the day. So just get ready on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Want to hear from you, but first, we'll hear from this Peter Ogburn. Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple other stories making news. If you are looking for a house in Sacramento, California, there is a great new house that is on the market. But here is the catch. Governor's Mansion. No, not the governor's <laughs> oh, mansion. Uh, there is a catch if you want to buy this house in Sacramento, California. The woman selling the house says she will not sell the house to anyone that supports Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> now, this it, it's it, we're saying it as a joke. She's being serious about it. In fact, she had a, law, a, 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 a real estate agent that she got rid of 
because they weren't taking her seriously. She says, I've been in this house for 30 years. I don't want to sell to a Trump supporter. Another attorney has come forward and says, well, this is actually against the law. I was just going to, yeah, yeah. But, but there is a little bit of a leg for her to stand on. Like, you are allowed to ask someone how they voted, but they don't have to actually tell you. Mm-hmm. So they, someone could lie. Yeah. Uh, but it's a fascinating little story out there. It should be pointed out that in Sacramento, in that particular uh, uh, district, uh, Donald Trump won 39% of the vote over Hillary Clinton in 2016. So that's that's a large chunk she's cutting out of uh, potential buyers. I I wish they'd just throw all Trump supporters out of, out of California. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to, to fix the problem. By the way, we had talked about this story before, and we finally got some resolution early, early this morning. China's space station, Tiangong, won. Smash- Where did it fall? Uh, it, it, it actually <laughs> fell... Off the coast of Tahiti. There was, oh. They were concerned yeah. that it was going to actually hit Tahiti, but it actually did not hit Tahiti. It hit just off the coast. It came into the Earth's atmosphere at 17,000 miles per hour. Uh, it mostly disintegrated before it hit, the, uh, yeah. hit anything, but uh, it's a nine-ton <laughs> space station. There were some large chunks that did manage to survive re-entry. But again, it, it just went off into the ocean, so no no major uh, uh, problems. Yeah, they were there. sure where it was going to land. It was just pieces flying all over the place. Well, that was the thing. When we talked about this before, they were afraid yeah. it was going to hit yeah. some major population yeah. centers. But it didn't hit anything. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Uh, all good. But no more space station. The sky is falling. <laughs> yeah, the sky exactly. is falling. Yeah. In this case, Chicken Little was right. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Happy Easter week, everybody. I guess this is Easter week. Last week was Holy Week, whatever. I hope you had a great Easter and great to see you today as we dive into the news of the day here on uh, the Bill Press Show. Welcome. Welcome to the program. And remember, you're a very big part of the program. As we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and on our podcast later in the day at BillPressShow.com, uh, uh, we join you again on Free Speech TV, uh, uh, on part of the uh, DirecTV network, Coast to Coast, and look at you out on the radio on the great WCPT in Chicago, uh, where uh, I'll be coming, heading a little bit later. Later in the week, on Wednesday, to the Frugal Muse Bookstore out in Darien, Illinois, at six thirty, uh, we'll be talking more about a little bit about that a little bit later in the program. Another reminder: so don't make any other plans for Wednesday night. Got to be there. Got to be there. Want to see you? Uh, and it is a busy, busy Monday coming in. This is the day of the Easter egg roll at the White House, but uh, uh, Donald Trump got uh, things started yesterday by yet one more time using an Easter Sunday service to lash out at the uh, Dreamers program uh, when he was not lashing out over the weekend at Amazon and Jeff Bezos, or Bezos. How do you, how do you pronounce that anyhow, Peter? What's the, I think it's Bezos. Bezos, not Bezos. Bezos. I hear, I hear it, all, I hear it both ways. all over the place, right? More and more questions raised about uh, Ronnie Jackson and whether he is really up to handling and leading the uh, Veterans uh, Agency. Uh, and evangelicals 
getting a lot more a lot more scrutiny and a lot more complaints about how they can possibly believe what they say they believe and yet support Donald Trump. Boy, I watched that game Saturday night with um, Sister Jean ran out of juice, huh? Man. She sure did, man. Yeah, but she got on Easter weekend. On Easter weekend, uh. but she got them farther than anybody ever thought they could oh, get. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But boy, Michigan really, really dominated there in the in the, uh, in, in the second half. And it's tonight. It's Villanova and Michigan. Michigan, yeah. Villanova, don't you think? I think so. I think Villanova's the better team. Yes. But you never you know. Go either way, though. Michigan yeah. did look good. Yep. So yep. who knows? They did, and they certainly, uh, they're certainly, uh, they certainly, you know, uh, <laughs> they want to win it. Uh, they got the momentum. They got it. And it is Scott Pruitt. So let's start right there, Scott Pruitt. I mean, this is the guy. Probably look of all. The clowns in the Trump administration, Scott Pruitt is the worst. He's the worst because he's in such an important position. He is a total anti-environmentalist, a to- totally anti-environment. Total, the more pollution, the better for Scott Pruitt, right? This is a guy who sued EPA 14 times and then was made the head of EPA. Uh, this is a guy who uh, has undone everything that Barack Obama tried to do and was able to do. Uh, to move us toward taking climate change seriously, moving toward renewable energy, move, moving toward clean air, clean water. Scott Pruitt just systematically put in front of Donald Trump. Donald Trump assigned orders to reverse all of those uh, environmental protection measures taken by uh, Barack Obama. This is also a guy who, once he got there, I mean, the whole bunch of them are grifters, right? We've seen so many of them. Um, Tom Price thrown out of office because he was flying high. At, on the on the taxpayer dollar, um, and David Shulkin at Veterans Affairs, part of the same reason. Scott Pruitt has his own thing. He would insist. He insisted, got to fly first class, man. You know, got to be right up front. He put all this money out so he could, they could build a private phone booth in in the sound EPA. Proof. Totally sound, sound totally soundproof, so he could make calls there to his buddies in the energy industry to his fossil fuel buddies, the heads of the oil companies, making deals with them and nobody could hear him. you got to wonder why a yeah, guy that's the yeah. head of an agency needs right. a soundproof booth soundproof so that the booth. other people he doesn't work with hear who he's talking to and what he's talking about. Yeah, right. That really does make you go, hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, that, uh, the guy is, uh, is already in trouble. And then last week, in terms of environmental regulations, he announces perhaps the worst, the number, the most important thing of all that Barack Obama was able to do, uh, in addition to signing the climate, Paris Climate Accords, which, remember, were not binding. Most important thing Barack Obama did is he reached an agreement with the auto industry, with the major auto manufacturers, to raise the CAFE standards, the, the fuel efficiency standards on American cars, up to 50, average 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. Huge victory. Uh, and, and and again, the auto industry said, yeah, we can do that. Of course, we're the best manufacturers on the planet. Of course, we can do that. China can do it. Japan can do it. We can do it. Uh, and they're in place uh, until last week. Scott Pruitt announced that he's going to roll them back, just basically get rid of them and go back to the era of gas guzzlers. And to their disgrace, a lot of the auto companies having, once Trump got into office, they said, uh, you know, we're having second thoughts about those cafe standards. I mean, it, 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 to me, th- this is not what America is all about. They ought to be saying, we can make the best, most fuel-efficient cars on the planet, and we're going to show we are the best. 
on the planet. And by the way, they're, they're making great strides toward electric vehicles and, 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 and more uh, hybrids. They can do it. They can do it. But they see a chance, you know, to <clears throat> save a buck or something or go back to their old ways, and they indicated that they did. So Scott Pruitt said, we're just going to get rid of the cafe standards. And now the auto manufacturers are saying, well, we didn't mean to go that far. <laughs> oh, no, we don't. No, no. I mean, that. We, we, so now they're pretending that they didn't give the green light to the Trump administration to undo the standards. The whole thing is a mess. But the point is, you know we can do it. You know technologically the United States can compete. And, and you know we were making such great progress. And, and Scott Pruitt, again, has undone that. Now, on top of all of that, that's my point, right? He's already, he already doesn't belong there. In fact, Chris Christie said it best over the weekend. We'll hear that in just a minute, that, uh, that he shouldn't have been, been in the first place. But now Scott Pruitt's got another problem, which, again, is they are all grifters, man. They are all looking for lying in their pockets or making deals. And the deal, it turns out, that uh, Scott Pruitt uh, is involved in is he's— uh, <clears throat> Got a cozy little deal for where he bunks up, bunks out when he's in Washington. Uh, he's got a room that he rents on Capitol Hill. He pays 50 bucks a night. The house just happens to be owned by one of the, by one of the biggest oil lobbyists, lobbyists for the, for the oil industry in Washington, D.C., a guy by the name of J. Stephen Hart, uh, who is the lobbyist for ExxonMobil. So here is Scott Pruitt bunking out with a chief lobbyist for ExxonMobil at a special rate of $50 a night. By the way, hotel room on Capitol Hill, 300 a night. Yeah. Easy. E- easily. Easy. This little Capitol Hill Suites right down here, which is close to, I know, the building he lives in, right down here, uh, about 300 a night. Uh, and um, he, get this, he only pays for the room when he sleeps there. So he's not paying rent. This is not a rental property. This is just, you know, 50 bucks a night to his, <clears throat> to ExxonMobil, basically, to the lobbyists for ExxonMobil. Uh, this came out, and, um, and people also point out, if you wanted to get a one-bedroom, which a lot of members of Congress do, they share space so they get a uh, one-bedroom place here on Capitol Hill, um, easy, let me tell you, easy, 3000 a month, 4000 a month. For a one bedroom, I know I live here, right? A lot of friends who live here, a lot of members who live here. Uh, no people in the real estate industry here. Three thousand, four thousand for a one bedroom apartment on Capitol Hill. Scott Pruitt is paying fifty bucks a night <clears throat> when he stays there. This all came out. Chris Christie was asked about it yesterday by George Stephanopoulos uh, on uh, this week. And first of all, uh, Christie says the transition. You now these problems are all popping up. Because Chris Christie says, remember, he was in charge of the transition until Donald Trump fired him and put Mike Pence in charge of the transition. And Christie says if they'd done a good job in the first place, they would have spotted problems like this. This was a brutally unprofessional transition. This was a transition that didn't vet people for these type of judgment issues, which I think could have been seen very easily in a lot of these people. And Chris Christie goes on to say... As for Scott Pruitt, with this latest again, uh, no, this this is this is just one more one more uh, unforgivable sin on part of Scott Pruitt. He's got to go. 
The president's been ill-served by this, and if Mr. Pruitt's going to go, it's because he should have never been Does there in the first place. Does he have to go? Listen, I don't know how you survive this one. I don't know how you survive this one. Oh, God. Yeah, wouldn't it be great to get rid of Scott Pruitt? Uh, he <laughs> He's twisting in the wind right now, just like David Shulkin was last week. Uh, Scott Pruitt would be the sweetest one of all. The only problem is he'll probably get somebody just as bad as Scott Pruitt. You know, the one thing Donald Trump's not going to do is he's not going to turn around and appoint um, <clears throat> some uh, some great environmentalist right uh, to, to to that to that post. Um, it, it's going to be some, but maybe maybe somebody not as <clears throat> totally totally one hundred percent against the work of EPA. Uh, yes, and so we move on to the other story. A lot of other stories in Donald Trump continued his attacks. Well, let's go back to Easter Sunday. Yeah. So here you go. You're going into church on Easter Sunday morning. What is on your mind? Well, he starts out, started out the day, Easter Sunday, when I picked up my, woke up, pick up my phone Easter Sunday. And what did I see? Happy Easter from Donald Trump. I know that. That's nice. The guy's in a <laughs> positive mood, right? And the very next tweet is, complaining about hordes of people who are storming across the border because Mexico's doing nothing to stop them, and they're coming up here for one reason, to join the DACA program and to become part of the Dreamers program. So you're going into church to celebrate celebrate the risen Christ and what is on your mind the same thing that was on his mind when he announced for president in June of 2015. Attack immigrants. Attack Mexico. Here, Donald Trump. Mexico has got to help us at the border. And a lot of people are coming in because they want to take advantage of DACA. They want to take advantage of DACA. And Donald Trump says, yeah, again, Mexico, Mexico has got to stop. Mexico has got to help us at the border. They flow right through Mexico. They send it to the United States. Can't happen that way anymore. Now, first of all, again, uh, what a mean-spirited way to start Easter. You know, what a a total contradiction to what the message of Easter Sunday is all about. And also, what ignorance about the DACA program. You notice he said, they're coming up here to take advantage of DACA. We know this. We've talked about it so many times. Under the rules of DACA, the Dreamers program, you had to be in the United States before 2007. You can't come in today and join the Dreamers program. This is for kids who are here, who were brought here by their parents before 2007 when they end, end, number one, number two, and they had to have been younger than 16 when they were brought here. So the idea that people are coming across a border today and, yeah, they cross a border and then they say, oh, could you tell me where the nearest DACA office is? I'm going to go sign up yeah, right away. Right. It's uh, a, a shock of all shocks. Donald Trump does not understand the topic, right? Like he doesn't understand the issue, right? He he, this is a, a, a trend for him, a theme for him. He just does not understand how to talk about the real issues. No, I mean, He yeah. just doesn't. He Assuming. doesn't understand So them. people coming across the board today are coming into San Francisco. No, they're not. 
No, they're not. And no, they can't. So he has all this hype, right, and ugliness. There's no foundation for it uh, at all. Uh, and there you go. Uh, so that's that's how Donald Trump's been uh, his Sunday. Well, he spent that one that, that all of that time when he was not um, attacking Amazon <laughs> and Jeff Bezos, right? Now we've been talking about this earlier here, and we like you are probably a little torn about Amazon. Okay, look, we all use it, but let's be honest, we all feel a little guilty about it because it's too easy for one thing. Uh, it does hurt, particularly independent bookstores, for another. Uh, at the same time, it's a damn good service. And there ain't nothing you can't buy on Amazon, right? I got to, just a little. I, I need a new one of these. I need a new. Uh, that's not bad. I might take this one. <laughs> but uh, I need an, a, a new office chair at yeah. home. Yeah. You know, and normally I would go out. And go to furniture stores sure. and sit, sit in a few and try one out, right, and have them delivered to the house. I may still do that, but I'm really tempted just to go on Amazon and buy one. And, said, I know that so I, and I know that I could. And you'll have it in, in a day and a half. Have it the next day. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, so, look, I, I'm with you. I'm super <laughs> conflicted, right? Because yeah. and, and I was never more conflicted than when I saw recent reports about how Amazon pays no taxes. Like, that is insane. It's insane. It's not right. Mm -hmm. And yet, I'm not canceling my Amazon Prime membership. I'm not either. And I haven't. No. Maybe I should, but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> and um, but so he makes, he makes really three. He's on a tear against Amazon. And the claims that he makes are not, uh, oh, surprise, surprise with Donald Trump, right? He's not necessarily uh, <clears throat> giving us the facts. He does say, Peter, particularly that they pay, that they don't pay state or state or local taxes, which they do actually. They didn't always, but they do collect in every state that has a sales tax. Delaware doesn't, for example. But otherwise, if you buy and they, there's a local sales, tax, they charge the state sales tax and they reimburse, they remit that money uh, to to the states. So Donald Trump is wrong there. And by the way, by the way, for Donald Trump. To accuse anybody else of not paying any taxes is pretty rich. <laughs> you got to admit, huh? Pretty rich. Yeah. Do we have any idea what he pays in taxes? Do we have any idea if he pays any taxes at all? Yeah. No. Release your tax returns, Dumbo, right? Yeah. When Before you attack somebody else for not paying taxes. The other thing he Hasn't says- stopped them before. The other thing he says, of course, is uh, they're not, they're, they're hurting the post office. Because they use the post office, they get a bulk rate. They use the post office as their quote delivery boy, um, and and they're not paying their fair share. Well, actually, um, I saw CNN did a report on this. They went to the post office. Post office said, um, "Yeah, they get a bulk rate because they mail so much. They get the same bulk rate that other bulk." mailers get. They don't get a special Amazon rate. They get the bulk rate. Uh, I don't know, whatever it is. Walmart, for example. Barnes & Noble. Name any other big... Uh, uh, somebody does a lot of uh, uh, mail orders. Cowgirl Creamery uh, that I use a lot. 
They they get the bulk right. Of course they do. Uh, and by the way, what, think what would happen if um, Amazon was using UPS, U, UPS or FedEx, right? They may be paying more, but the post office would be losing a lot of money. And by the way, I like the fact that they. I like the fact that they use the post office. Yeah. And by the way, Amazon also has their entire like an entire fleet of delivery drivers. Like they don't rely solely right. on the postal yeah. service. So the postal yeah. service gets it from point A to like point B in terms yeah. of like a sorting facility. Mm-hmm. But then Amazon drivers take over and deliver. In a lot of cases, not in every mm-hmm. single case, but in a lot of cases, they just take over and deliver it themselves. There are Amazon vans on the street everywhere now. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the other thing Donald Trump says is they are uh, forcing small businesses to close their doors. Well, they are in a lot of, they have in a lot of cases, independent bookstores particularly. Uh, uh, but in terms of small businesses losing out to giant retailers, again, I keep coming back to what about Walmart? Yeah. I mean, if, I think Walmart's had an equal impact. If not on, more. If not more, on grocery stores and clothing stores and pharmacies. Go down the list, right? Yeah, it didn't start with Amazon. But for some reason, for some reason, he's got this, you know, thing about Amazon. And I think it's because of Jeff Bezos. Or Jeff Bezos, again, we go into this. But um, Bezos is, I think kind of universally admired in this country just because of being such he's he's the wealthiest person on the planet i believe last time i heard uh and he's just seen like um uh, elon musk is as a very smart businessman right uh and people admire him for that uh he does a lot of good stuff with his money and here you got donald trump who's a billionaire that nobody likes and doesn't do anything with his doesn't help anybody with his money uh, just enjoys. Well, his, he he's helped Stormy Daniels with his money. Uh, well, that's and true. Uh, that's true. other women that he's. Yeah, but she saw him naked, so she deserves one hundred thirty thousand dollars, right? <laughs> uh, at at any rate, um, by the oh, I thought I love this too. Uh, in the middle of all of this, CBS News took a look at the campaign reports of the Trump campaign. Uh, so in twenty sixteen. They actually spent $158,498.41 on Amazon. <laughs> of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you remember during the campaign when Trump said that there was he was going to propose a ban on Apple products? And it oh, turns out they yeah. were all using Apple products, <laughs> like iPhones, and then like if you wanted to buy something, they did it through iPads and this yeah. whole thing. Like mm-hmm. this, this is who Trump is. Right. Don't know what the hell he's talking about? Yeah. So um, we started out talking about some of the Trump uh, appointees who are in in office right now and who have uh, gotten in trouble, uh, like Tom Price and David Shulkin and, uh, and Ben Carson uh, and Scott Pruitt. Uh, one of his uh, <clears throat> appointees who's not yet on the job is already getting a little flack, and that is uh, Dr. Ronnie Jackson down at the White House, whom uh, Donald Trump has named, uh, uh, indicated he wants to, he said he's going to nominate him officially as the new head of the uh, Veterans Administration, replacing, replacing David Shulkin. Uh, Shulkin, by the way, is uh, causing a few little problems because the White House announced that he had resigned uh, 
Shulkin yesterday with Jake Tepper on State of the Union on CNN uh, made it very clear. He said, I did not resign. And he said what happened in this case is, and remember Shulkin, Trump was praising Shulkin six months ago. Uh, he said the politics got in the way, and the politics really is uh, players in the Trump administration who want to privatize the entire VA, uh, and Shulkin is going in what wants to go in the opposite direction and improve the services of VA, but keep it basically as a Medicare government function. Uh, at any rate, Shulkin yesterday saying, "Here's what happens too often in, in uh, Washington: uh, the politics take over uh, and um, uh, overcome, if you will, good policies." There are a lot of people in Washington who only are concerned about the politics. And when it comes to the VA, uh, I believe strongly this needs to be run without politics. This needs to be done in a bipartisan way. And there are too many people that are trying to draw politics into the way that we run VA. Right. Uh, so uh, David Shulkin again saying, I did not resign, which uh, does create some problems because it's a little complicated. But Trump skipped over, I don't exactly understand how this works, but Trump skipped over the deputy director of the VA and put somebody from the Pentagon in charge. But if Shulkin wasn't fired, the president may not have the authority to do that. So now there's this whole issue about who is really running the DA, VA, in the meantime. Oh, wow. While they're waiting, they're trying to sort that out. So it's, it's whether he was fired or resigned, in this case, does make a difference. And Shokin says, I was not, I did not resign. On top of that, more and more people, including several senators, have said, Ronnie Jackson, uh, okay, uh, yeah, he did a good job, I guess, at the White House as the president's doctor. But what does he know about running an agency? And by the way, I didn't realize this. The VA is the second largest agent, federal agency, government agency. Only the Pentagon is bigger. And Ronnie Jackson has zero experience. And let me tell you, again, I told you a story last week about how I ended up in Ronnie Jackson's office one day carrying a woman who had fainted at, at, at one of our press briefings in there but uh, or helping her get in there. I didn't carry her. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, Ronnie, so Ronnie, you know, if, think about it. You're the White House doctor. You know what you do? You sit in that office all day long in case the president, something happens. It's a great gig. Yeah. You are not seeing patients all day long. You are not operating in the operating room all day long. You got one patient who you, whom you may see once a month. Think about it. Yeah. He's got that little office right off the Palm Court in the White House, and he doesn't do anything. So they're going to say he's going to take – and he's been, he's been doing that for like three presidents, right? Yeah, he's been there for a while now. Yeah. He did a tour, I think, in Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere. And anyway, he's in the military, a military doctor, and then gets, gets this White House assignment. Cushy job. He knows nothing about running an agency, and he's now uh, – Donald Trump wants him to be in, in charge of the second largest government agency. And they're, again – you know, he may not get confirmed. That's a good point, right? He may like, not get confirmed. I would love to actually read that story to see what he's been up to this just this past year, Ronnie Jackson. Like I know we know he did the president's physical. He but came what, out and talked about those results. Yeah, but when the president, when something happens to the president, what, what he needs really a check over him, what they go to Bethesda, they go yeah, out to right, Walter right, Reed. Right. 
So this is just the daily stuff. You know, I man, I got a little cough today or something. Well, here's a cough drop. <laughs> I, I don't want to put him down. It's important. Sure, it's sure, important sure. that the physician sure. be there, on, by the way, in case he's needed. But most of the time, he's not. That's a good point, <clears throat> man. Yeah. It's well, a, we said that like when I he, when bet he, he plays a lot of video games. I'm sure he does. We <laughs> said when he did the whole when he talked about the physical results, like what a great gig that's got to be. As you said, he's got one patient, and Donald Trump doesn't exactly seem like a <clears throat> health conscious kind of guy. So mm. don't think he's checking in with his doctor very often. No, and Barack Obama was in such great shape. I'm sure he sure. was in, in there every day. No, right? no, no. Why would he? No. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So don't assume that Ronnie Jackson is going to be the next secretary of the uh, VA. Oh, boy. Off to a good start. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back with the uh, Bill Press Show. Stay with us. Matt Gertz from Media Matters joining us at the top of the next hour. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is uh, on a Monday, Monday, April 2nd. Can you believe it? The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio right here on Capitol Hill with uh, all the news of the day. Coming up, uh, Matt Gertz uh, joins us at the top of the hour from uh, Media Matters. A lot, <laughs> yeah, a lot in the media field to talk about. Uh, Sinclair Broadcasting, it turns out, has given uh, uh, instructions to all of their hosts and anchors on all of their 170 TV stations. Uh, to read the exact same statement, word for word, warning people about fake news that they hear on any other uh, broadcast. Uh, I wonder if that includes Fox and telling them the only place to get the truth is on Sinclair. We'll get into that with Matt Gertz. Uh, and pardon me, then we'll be joined by Ben Kamazar, political reporter for The Hill. Just, uh, just a moment to uh, remind you about uh, my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. You can find out more about it on our website at BillPressShow.com. And again, an invitation to all of you out in the greater Chicago area, no matter where you are in the Chicago area, come on over Wednesday night to Wednesday evening, 6.30, to the great Frugal Muse Bookstore, Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois. Um, big town hall gathering there to talk about uh, national politics, talk about a Illinois politics. I don't learn from you about Illinois politics. Uh, a lot of great, very important races there in Illinois this year. And uh, also talk about, I'll be talking about the, my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. As I mentioned before, this is my memoir. Uh, I call it Memoir Part One because uh, <laughs> a long way to go uh, still. Um, but so far, I uh, just wanted to tell you about some of the fun experiences, the, the, some of the great people uh, that I've uh, been able to, to meet and work with and some of the great opportunities uh, that I've had, uh, all the way from uh, growing up in a small town in Delaware up to helping launch the Bernie Sanders for President campaign in 2016 with lots of exciting stuff in between, including a, a good stretch of time with uh, Governor Jerry Brown in California uh, as his policy director the first time around uh, when he was elected governor back in the, uh, the 1970s. Um, I just wanted to share, we got a little time this morning, one, uh, one little section uh, of the book, again, uh, that, that 
tell us a lot about where I came from and what I've put behind me and what I hope a lot of us have put behind us. Uh, but uh, I grew up in a small town in Delaware on the Delaware River, a little town called Delaware City, still there, great little town. Uh, it was 1,200 people when I was there. Um, we used to say it was 1,200 people at low tide. It was 900 people at high tide um, because we were flooded often right there on the banks of the river. But one, and I, I had a great, you know, growing up, great kid. It was a, a little town surrounded by great marshland and swamps and beaches were right on the river. A lot of fishing and, and uh, hunting and, 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 and the marsh, duck hunting and and going out and catching catfish in the marshes and everything. But one thing about Delaware City that only later did I realize there's something not so idyllic about it. Let me just read a couple of paragraphs for you about a Delaware City as a southern town. Yeah, Delaware City was a great place to grow up, but I didn't realize until much later was that Delaware City was a great place to grow up as long as you were white. Not so for African Americans. Even though we didn't live in the Deep South, Delaware was still a border state, and Delaware City was a segregated town. There were black churches and white churches, black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods, black markets and white markets. There was even a separate black section of town across the canal called Polk Town. We white kids, grades 1 through 12, walked a couple of blocks to Delaware City School. That's where I went. Black kids walked a mile out of town to the, quote, colored school. We didn't call them blacks or coloreds. Then, of course, like everybody else in the South or border states, we routinely and thoughtlessly used the N-word. Cousin Billy Stevens once told me, though I was never, never able to confirm it, that Delaware City even had its own chapter of the KKK, led by two local businessmen, both of whom I knew, by the way, Harry Kirk, who was Grand Wizard, and his brother Ray, both of whom we knew well. I once asked my Aunt Georgie if the KKK, this is much later, if the KKK were active in Delaware City. She told me she never saw them in action, but remembered as a little girl being warned that the Klan was on the march, whereupon she and her siblings would huddle together in a bedroom, afraid the Klan would burst into their new house, into their house. And in their book about Fort Delaware, which is located in the middle of the Delaware River, off Delaware City, uh, the book called Unlikely Allies, Brutes Malday and Dale Fetzer report that Delaware City was also the beginning of a reverse-direction underground railroad that took southern sympathizers down to the south to fight for the Confederate Army. We hear about the one underground railroad that brought slaves, helped them come north. This was a reverse underground wow, railway. I never even knew that existed no, until, I read I. That, until, yeah. I, until I read that book. So it seems strange, I continue, looking back, not only to have, to have experienced segregation, but to have practiced it, which we did as kids, I'm ashamed to say, without even thinking about it. Why? Because that's just the way things were. That's how we were brought up, and that's what we accepted. But I'm also proud that in their own way, my parents dared to buck the prevailing culture. My father welcomed colored customers at the station. He hit a gas station at the gas station. He hired several black employees, and he extended credit to black customers as well as white. 
He didn't preach about it. He didn't brag about it. He just did it. And his example made a powerful and lasting impression on me. I'll never forget how he'd make a point of inviting his black employees as well as black customers, including one particular man by the name I remember well called Booty Carter, a black friend and a customer, to the annual Christmas party at our home on Clinton Street. Booty would show up, but despite my dad's trying to talk him out of it, Booty would always insist on coming in the back door because he said he didn't want to get my father in any trouble with our neighbors. He'd come to the house but would never use the front door. My father, I remember my, I could wow. remember my father saying, come on, Booty. No, I'm not going to do that. I like to say, always come in the back door. There's one other time that my father bucked the segregationist trend. As one of the founders of the Delaware City Lions Club, he convinced members to move their meetings from the recreation club where they used to meet, which banned black customers, it was for whites only, he convinced them to move their meetings downtown to the Pea Patch Inn, where the club soon became embroiled over whether or not to evict a white member who had adopted two black children. My father's response was to challenge the Lions Club by nominating Jim Mitchell, the head of the local NAACP, as the <laughs> club's first African-American member. Yes. Of course, that caused an even bigger uproar and prompted a long, bitter debate, which my father ultimately lost, but he had made his point, and I'm still proud of him for fighting the good fight. So this was another lesson learned the hard way, discrimination in any form is just plain wrong. There's no excuse for treating any group of people differently or denying them equal rights under the Constitution. It is fundamentally un-American, nor is there anything in the Bible to justify discrimination. So-called Christians used to cite the Bible to defend slavery, just as so-called Christians today cite the Bible to defend discrimination against gays and the LGBT community. They're woefully ignorant, or they haven't read the New Testament. Either way, they're not true Christians, and they're not true Americans. Just one little life lesson there from uh, from the left, life in the crossfire. You know what strikes me about that uh, is <laughs> it's so important to hear those stories because this was not that long ago. No. This was not no. that long ago. And it's, it's sort of the point was driven home, I think, last week. We saw the, the passing of Linda Brown who you might not know her full name, but we know Linda Brown, Brown versus the Board of Education. Mm -hmm. She just passed away last week. This is not in our the dark recesses of ancient history of America. Like People are still around that saw this stuff happen. You're still around to write about it. She was yeah. still around to tell her story. Yeah, right. You know? and, and I also talk in here about when that, when that came down and the debates among teenagers then as to whether or not that was going to be good or bad for us or how we were going to deal with it or whether schools would comply and whether we should comply and whether or whether this was the federal government just kind of force us to you know to, to do things we didn't we didn't believe in it was uh it was a it was it was not a just night and uh, like flip the switch and go from segregated schools to not segregated schools of course the history of it goes on and on but that was, a, that was a powerful moment. And you're right. It wasn't that long ago. And, by the way, in, in Delaware. 
Yeah. Above the Mason Dixon line. You know? Like so it's 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 a fascinating story that you tell there. And if you want to hear more, you know, yep. check out our website, BillPressShow.com, or check out our Patreon page where I interviewed you about I, I got some, some questions from uh, people to interview you about the book and things like that. And by the way, related to this, this is a very, very important week. I talked to a friend of mine over the weekend who's been for the last two months down in Memphis preparing for the big celebration down in Memphis. It's the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. on Wednesday, April uh, April 4. Uh, and um, there's going to be a huge um, commemoration of that, uh, particularly uh, on the part of Americans' labor unions. Uh, they're leading the, 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 the they're they're leading the, um, uh, the 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 memorial march and everything. Uh, to, uh, and remember that Martin Luther King was there on behalf of the striking sanitation workers of Memphis. It was a labor dispute. He, he went down there supporting. These are members of AFSCME. American Federation of State Municipal and uh, and County Employees, uh, and um, they're they're going to be descending on Memphis uh, in great numbers uh, the, 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 this week. So that's a, a very very important day, and we'll be talking more about it uh, uh, throughout the week. And by the way, mentioning there are these <laughs> these people who use their religion, uh, I, I've seen several uh, use their religion to support. Some very non-Christian things. These evangelicals who use their Christian religion to support very non-Christian principles and personalities. Uh, several reports lately that you found eighty-one percent of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump for president. And you know, among them, even from what we hear, Stormy Daniels, on and on, doesn't matter. Eighty-one of them still percent still still support Donald Trump. Uh, and led by people like Franklin Graham, whom I think have totally lost any credibility when it comes. Maybe they're they have credibility as a Republican politician. They have no credibility as a Christian leader. You, you just cannot accept what the Gospels are for and what Jesus is all about, and look at Donald Trump and say he's our guy. Can't do it. I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's it's spot on. And these guys are just. Continuing to get pass after pass after pass after pass, whether it's Franklin Graham or Donald Trump or any of these any of these guys, the evangelicals just will not leave them. Right, they won't leave their side. So either they say, "Well, because Hillary hit her emails," <laughs> right, like whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, well, either they say, "Well, he's a," um, um, we all believe in forgiveness, right? We've all done things wrong. Nobody is perfect. We believe in forgiveness. That's a, that's a Christian virtue. So therefore, we uh, he says, pardon me, he says he's sorry. And we we forgive him, or he says he didn't do it. Why Franklin Graham would say the president says he didn't do it, so I believe him. Right? Oh yeah, man. Or they say he didn't do it, or they believe him. Or James Dobson. Uh, I had to laugh out loud when I saw this over the weekend. James Dobson says, "Well, he's just a beginning Christian." <laughs> So you can't expect too much of him because he's just learning. He took that straight from Paul Ryan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's he, 72 now, 71? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You yeah. should know mm -hmm. better by yeah, now. Right. <laughs> or uh, as uh, somebody that I was debating on CNN the other day said, well, we all we knew what we were doing when we elected. We elected a president, not a pope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. So therefore, don't expect him to be perfect. No, 
but come on. You got to try a little harder, guys. Come on. I realize that you're going to be carrying water for the president. That's your job now, not to actually lead people in the gospel. I understand you're now just essentially a paid-off spokesperson, but, like, try a little harder. Mm -hmm. You know? A a little harder. Uh, It's worth pointing out, too, (laughs) uh, someone mentioned this. uh, um, Okay, Melania was out of town this week, right? So, um, So... Word has come out about the people that Donald Trump was hanging out with. He started out uh, last week at the White House having dinner. And again, as Jake Tapper uh, uh, tweeted out, you're president of the United States. Think about it. Right? You can have dinner with anybody on the planet. You have, Literally. Literally. Nobody would turn that invitation down. Dinner in the residence, the private upstairs part of the White House, with the President of the United States, right? So Donald Trump starts out the week having dinner with Corey Lewandowski and David Bossie. <laughs> I guess talking about their new book, right? Uh, the next night he had dinner with, uh, from Fox News, Jesse Waters, and Seb Gorka. Remember Gorka, the guy that... Got fired. He got fired. Got fired. Yeah, I think he did actually get fired. He didn't resign. Right. Two frothing lunatics. Total. Jesse Total. Waters and Seb Gorka, both mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Maniacs. Yeah. So he's dinner with them another night. Okay. Uh, then he goes down to Mar-a-Lago. Uh, he plays golf with Sean Hannity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who else is he hanging out with? He's hanging out with Janine Pirro, Fox News. At Mar-a-Lago this week, Easter weekend. And he had dinner, I think it was Friday night, Thursday or Friday night. He had dinner with Don King. Was it 1988? <laughs> Don King? Don King. I mean, and again, think about the great people, thinkers, right? Writers, philosophers, theologians, world leaders. You could hang out with. That's. Talk about a basket of deplorables. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> those are Donald Trump's friends. Yeah. You know, this is like. Uh, a by the l- way, notice, uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly uh, <laughs> was not <laughs> was nowhere to be seen. This gives us a little glimpse into the future hell that we will be living in because the, when Donald Trump leaves, whether or not he's run out of office or whether or not he he serves his full term or what, well, whatever happens. Right. Mm-hmm. The future is he's going to go on Fox News. He's going to get a show on Fox News. That's what's going to happen. No doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he essentially already thinks that this is just an extension of Fox News, what he does as president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, hanging out with Jesse Waters and Sean Hannity and all and Janine Pirro and all these little goblins. <laughs> he's just laying down the foundation <laughs> for his own Fox show. I think the only question is... And we'll talk about this with uh, Matt Gertz, top of the hour, is whether Laura Ingram can last long enough <laughs> to hold that slot for Donald Trump. <laughs> right? Yeah, good point. You know, that's. <laughs> I'll take the under on her uh, <laughs> on her staying. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, here just um, reprising the story that we uh, we started off with. Uh, we've we've been watching them fall. Uh, we've. <laughs> Uh, the list is so long uh, that uh, how many 
five communication directors, two national security advisors, um, two or three cabinet members, uh, a chief of staff, a press secretary. And a partridge in a pear tree. And a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) Well, uh, the latest, of course, last week, uh, David Shulkin, uh, over the weekend of uh, the uh, Veterans Affair. We knew he was going. uh, And Donald Trump fired him the way he fires everybody else. He fired him on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, And by the way, fired him. The White House says he resigned. Uh, David Shulkin said clearly over the weekend, he said, no, I did not resign. Um, But the one now, and then we know John Kelly's still on thin ice. Uh, Ryan Zinke, Interior Secretary, and a little bit of hot water over uh, <clears throat> uh, lots lots of reasons, particularly a lot of uh, uh, very expensive travel and using helicopters to get him to golf games with Mike Pence and all that other stuff. Ben Carson in trouble uh, <laughs> over still over his uh, dining room suite. Uh, now it's Scott Pruitt who's yeah. in trouble. And Pruitt got in trouble first because he was also insisting on flying first class. And then Scott Pruitt, a little trouble because it turned out that he had spent buckets of money to have a soundproof <clears throat> phone booth built in his office so he could make calls to his friends uh, in, at the oil companies without anybody overhearing the deals that he was making to the oil companies and the coal companies and on and on. Uh, but now Scott Pruitt in even deeper trouble because it turns out he's got a sweetheart deal here on Capitol Hill where he doesn't rent an apartment, he doesn't stay in a hotel, he stays in the home of the lobbyist for Exxon Mobil. And he pays them the special rate of $50 a night for that little one room, uh, but only, only when he happens to be in Washington that night. Uh, not a bad deal. It would cost you three hundred bucks in a hotel. If he rented an apartment, it would cost him three to four thousand dollars a month. But the point is, Scott Pruitt, with this sweetheart deal, staying with the head, the lobbyist for Exxon Mobil, one of the companies that's doing business every single day with EPA, and he sees nothing wrong with it. So this is this is a really interesting situation because Unbelievable. the the Trump administration and the Trumpers are trying to rewrite what you are able to do, right? So Stephanie Rule and Hugh Hewitt got into this back and forth on Twitter, where Hugh Hewitt says this is a non-story, this is not a big deal at all, and Stephanie Rule says he has to pay market rate, market rent. Yes, you right. cannot accept a heavily discounted apartment from a lobbyist who represents an industry no. your government role has great authority over. So Hugh Hewitt says that is market rent. No, it's $50 not. Fifty dollars a night. No, it's not. Is market rent? No. He says it was reviewed by a career tr- Trump counsel. Right. So this is where they're trying to rewrite the rules as they go along. So, like, they're trying to get him out of this, but I don't think it's going to work. No. Even if you go on Airbnb, right? Yeah. You're going to pay more than that on Capitol Hill. Guaranteed. I can tell you. I live here. Guaranteed. Right? I know what it is. I mean, Capitol Hill's become a very expensive place. But and, but, but, and then there's just the optics and the reality of all people that you rent from. You're renting from the chief lobbyist for ExxonMobil. And also, he's a lobbyist for another big natural, liquefied natural gas company, right? Uh, they, no conflict of interest here. No conflict of interest. They don't. They don't see that this is not good, right? For public image. So uh, let's just keep our fingers crossed that Scott Pruitt is the next one who is uh, bounced uh, 
bounced out the door. Um, with that, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back. Matt Gertz joining us from Media Matters for America, a senior fellow there. And then uh, Ben Kamazar coming in, political reporter for The Hill. We'll take a look at the big races for uh, 2018 and how it's shaping up for Democrats taking back control of the House and the Senate. The Bill Press Show, Monday, this April 2nd. The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, what do you say? It is a Monday, April 2nd. Hello, everybody. Yes, indeed. And in the spirit of Easter, let's attack the dreamers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a good Christian message. Yeah, stop these Mexicans from coming across the border. That's Donald Trump for you. What do you expect? Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C. As always, hope you had a great uh, weekend and a happy and holy and blessed Easter. Uh, and uh, the news just continues, and that's why we're here today. We just can't stop. There's so much going on here in Washington, around the country, and the gro- out around the globe. We will bring it all to you with the help today of our good friend from uh, Media Matters, senior fellow at Media Matters for America, Matt Gertz. Hello, Matt. Good to see you. Good to be back. Thanks for coming in. Uh, Angelo Carason was here last week. Your boss, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, we all keep Media Matters in the mix here. <laughs> Uh, on the the Bill Press show. We've got lots to talk about today, including some important stuff going on uh, in the media uh, with Matt's and uh, what Sinclair Broadcasting is up to. They're creating a little bit of a storm here today. So we'll tell you all about it and uh, and the latest from the White House, of course. We want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day. So go to Twitter and let us know at BP Show your comments on all that's going on at BP Show. And then we jump right into it with Matt Gertz. But first, this is Peter Ogburn here. Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, we have a new women's NCAA basketball yeah. champion. It was last night. Notre Dame winning at the last second, literally at literally the last, last second. second, Erica. Ogunbowale, <laughs> who hit a three po- or hit a shot to put them uh, Notre Dame over uh, Connecticut earlier in the weekend. Last night, literally one second left on the clock. Ogunbowale for the win. Alite Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Sinks a three pointer at the last second, putting them over Mississippi State, 61. 
to 58 was the final score. If it's in the air and the buzzer sounds before it. Still yeah. good. It Still has good. to leave your hand. As long as it's out of your hand by the time that the buzzer sounds, yeah. you're golden. Okay? okay. So so you're, you're okay. By the way, the men's uh, championship is taking place tonight. It will be Michigan yeah. versus Villanova. Bill, you're. You're picking Villanova? I think so, but i got to tell you, Michigan looks really, really good. And uh, I was sorry for Sister Jean, but she she, she got she Loyola. Go. She got them a long way beyond where they thought they might go. By the way, in, in terms of the NCAA tournament, remember one of the big stories was UMBC. They were a number 16 seed, and they won their first game. They lost their second game. But Little Caesars, the pizza place, promised if oh, any right. if any number 16 teams beat a number one team in this year's men's tournament, free pizza on them. Today is that day. You can go cash in their lunch combo. It's a pizza and a drink you get for free at Little Caesars. I don't advocate that you eat Little Caesars pizza, but no. if you, right. if you, that's, if that's you are problem. hungry. The you problem with that is it's Little Caesars, it's little Caesars pizza. pizza. By the way, I was just thinking Villanova's a Catholic school, so Sister Jean was going to be. That's a good point. I guess she, she might can switch be, allegiances. She might be switching to Ooh, Villanova, yeah. so watch out, Michigan. Why not? Mm-hmm. And a new survey take, took a look at where couples are getting engaged. Hitch.com is a popular wedding website, and they asked where are the most popular places to go get engaged. Number one is? Disneyland. Disneyland Paris. Disneyland Paris is number one. Good guess, Bill. Whoa. Disneyland. You you go to Paris to get engaged. You you go go to to Disneyland. Disneyland. That's that's the place that you're going. I can think of more romantic places in Paris to get engaged. Like number four on the list, the Eiffel Tower. Uh, Eiffel Tower is number four on the Mm. list. Number two on the list is Disney World in Florida. Number three is Centennial Lakes Park in Minnesota, which I didn't really see coming. And number five, the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles. Really? Yeah. Huh. About that, a Hollywood sign. All right. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Happy Easter, one day late. Here we are, the Bill Press Show, Monday, April 2nd. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On the great WCPT out in Radio Land in the greater Chicago area, the big progressive voice of Chicago and on Free Speech TV nationwide as well. Matt Gertz from Media Matters for America here uh, in studio with us. Matt, it's good to see you. Thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely happy to be here. And thank you for the uh, great interview you did and a little review of uh, my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. was up on Media Matters last week. or It was, yeah. Maybe it still is. I don't know. We tweeted it out and are sending out to all of our guests as well. Uh, And, uh, I mean, you actually read the book. I did. <laughs> greater than greater love than that, no man hath. <laughs> uh, and um, boy, today. So here's a question: uh, In the spirit of Holy Week, what was Laura Ingram up to? I mean, attacking this David Hogue, right? Right. Yeah. This is not like a great plan. So I think we sort of have to back up a little bit. Um, 
you know, there have been uh, basically since the shooting, uh, a, a wide swath of conservative uh, news outlets have decided that their best plan was to Attack demonize the, the kids. Yeah, yeah. right. So, right. Starting uh, with Jack Kingston, by the way, on CNN, I think was the first one that did. Right. Former so, Republican congressman. And yeah. so the they're the kids are coming out. They're they're calling for various uh, gun safety measures. They're criticizing the NRA. And so the response. How know, dare they? Right. And yeah. so you know there are some parts of the conservative media which are saying, okay, you know we we have to be able to like respectfully disagree with these kids which fine and then there's this whole other chunk that are basically saying let let's destroy them and so uh you have breitbart and some of the other sites uh basically comparing uh david to uh, nazis uh you know you have um uh alex jones basically literally airing hitler speeches over b-roll of them uh, and then there was one piece uh, from one of the, the biggest uh, conservative websites, uh, The Daily Wire, which uh, basically aggregated this interview that he did uh, in which he discussed uh, being rejected from some colleges. And they wrote it up as this sort of, uh, you know, nobody wants him. Right. No, that that's sort of the, the implication of the piece. And then she tweets it out with a, uh, you know, criticism that, that he was whining about it. Um, and that was not a good idea uh, because he immediately went for uh, the one thing that would actually uh, provoke some sort of response. He went for the advertisers. He said, look, uh, this is pretty bad. Here are all of Laura Ingram's Fox News yeah, advertisers. Let me, let me stop you just a second. Sure. The fact is he was rejected by uh, UC Davis, I think, or UC San Diego. I don't know. A couple of – he had been – yeah, turned down by a couple sure. of colleges, which is not unusual. I was rejected from several colleges myself. But he uh, was also sorry. he was also accepted by several colleges, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you know, there's just sort of a meanness to this, uh, a a basic like cruelty towards a young person who's just been through a fairly unspeakable situation, and your response is to like attack that, like attacking because, basically anyone for not getting to, into colleges get is like a, pretty a, mean. Yeah. But this is just. Very distasteful, uh, and but, I. Uh, I was say, Laura Ingram. I've known her a long time. She's mm -hmm. she has a very mean spirited streak in her. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not the first time. No, that she's gotten in trouble. And, and or, I think like, that shut up and dribble. Right, and, a hole. And, right, and I think what that she's saying this is why. By the way, African American a hole. I mean, right. no, that was bad. That, and that really was like bad. a month ago, yeah. right? So yeah. this this is just sort of something that she does. Yes. Uh, and once that is sort of brought to the public attention uh, and uh, the advertisers started getting contact, the advertisers looked at this behavior and were like, well, gosh, I, we don't want to be associated with uh, someone who is going to behave this way. And they started pulling out. We've seen, I think, 19 or 20 advertisers say that Whoa, they will note that, that, that like, many former now. advertisers say we're not going to yeah. like be associated with the show anymore. This includes uh, <laughs> Bayer and uh, Liberty Mutual, which were the two major ones that were doing uh, spots in her show that were literally, uh, you know, the Laura Ingram show, brought to you by mm. Bayer, mm -hmm. brought to you by uh, mm -hmm. Liberty Mutual. They're out uh, and so this is it's a fairly devastating blow to, uh, you know, her program's advertising. Isn't this what happened to Bill O'Reilly? Uh, it is, yeah. I mean, it, it's we've seen this a few times where, you know, you, you once the advertisers start to go, more and more drop, and they never come back. 
uh, and it becomes a problem for the shows. You know, Glenn Beck also uh, mm-hmm. was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the subject of, of a very successful advertiser action by us and Color of Change and other organizations. Uh, and by the end, you know, he his uh, show is basically being, uh, you know, subsidized by gold companies and like a couple of other, <laughs> like, re- you know, the blue chips leave, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Honda is gone. Uh, you know, Home Depot is gone from Laura Ingram's show. Uh, and that's going to be a big hole in Fox's revenue. Those advertisers are not going to come back. So she's gone away this week, uh, apparently. Yes. Uh, so the, the strategy, break, yeah. right, the strategy that uh, Fox uses in these situations is, you know, once the advertisers start going away, uh, there is there is a uh, remarkably well-timed pre-planned vacation that seems to happen. So <laughs> right, <laughs> O'Reilly went to Italy or something. O'Reilly went away. Uh, yeah. Sean Hannity went away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, O'Reilly did not come back. Sean Hannity did, uh, and so I think we'll be watching this week to see if the situation stabilizes, if advertisers continue to leave. Um, if Fox is able to cobble together some sort of slate of ad- advertisers for what is, you know, a prime time slot that they mm-hmm. kind of need to uh, make money on, right? I mean, you know, th- the business model, as you know, for cable news is, you know, subscribers, uh, and then uh, which is, you know, through the cable companies, and then being able to sell ads on the content. And if you can't sell ads on the content, uh, you're in a lot you're of dead. trouble. Yeah. yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll see how that we'll see how that plays out. By the way, on this idea of the boycott, and I'm not real big fan of boycotts, but um, conservatives can't complain about uh, uh, asking people to boycott the advertisers or going after the advertisers. They've done this with Disney, right? Over the right, the, the gay parade, gay parade, pride parades at, at Disney, where where they said everybody ought to boycott Disney. They've called them boycotts before. They they use the same tactic. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there was actually. Uh, ben Shapiro, who is a supposedly a very staunch advocate of uh, free speech, uh, in 2014 ran an organization called Truth Revolt, whose purpose was effectively to try to uh, gin up these uh, boycotts of uh, you know different uh, cable news programs and others. Um, and you know, it's not that conservatives don't try to do this; it's that they're very ineffective at it. <laughs> they're not very good at picking targets. They're not very good at following through, and so it doesn't tend to uh, succeed. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just sort of, as you started out with, okay, you don't have to agree with everything the students from Parkland are saying, but you, I think you have to respect what they've been through. And then you disagree with what they might be proposing, but you don't go after them, attack them, and try to demonize them personally. Yeah, Just out of, over the line, out of bounds. But this is the Disgusting. business model, right? Like this. Oh, is, totally. This is, and this is why totally. going uh, to the advertisers makes sense because it's, you know, uh, I think under most circumstances, the way that you would try to deal with a situation like this is you would go to, uh, you know. Uh, the person's boss and say, wow, this this is a terrible thing that this person did. Like, can you suspend them or in some way, like, keep them from doing this? But no one's going to go to Fox News with a case like this and expect to get some sort of justice. Right. No. This is what Fox does, right? The subscription end of the business model is uh, have a lot of vitriol to get the conservatives totally. riled up and keep them coming back to, to the program. They're getting what they want out of Laura Ingram, right? Yeah. Like, yes. they, like some of the backlash they didn't yeah. necessarily want, but her comments, that's what they're paying her for. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, the other big uh, media, uh, bit of media news today is uh, Sinclair Broadcasting, right? First of all, who are they? Right. So Sinclair Broadcasting is uh, sort of a 
a large corporation that owns a number and owns and operates a number of local uh, broadcast news stations. One hundred and seventy, you know, I saw. Yes, this morning. they're the the largest in the company in, in the country. They're currently reaching about thirty nine percent of the country. And if if they uh, are successful in buying the Tribune uh, broadcast stations, that's going to jump to something like seventy percent of the country. Um, and so, what you have here, right wing uh, ownership, right wing ownership, uh, and willingness. Uh, to use those outlets uh, to uh, help conservatives. A lot of them are local Fox stations. Correct? Some of them are local Fox stations, but some... I mean, some of them, they, can, they can be really any type of broadcast station. Okay. It doesn't matter. And that's kind of why it is uh, so tricky, uh, right? Because if you turn on Fox News, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get this conservative slanted uh, news. Yeah. But if you turn on your local broadcast station, you tune into your local news, you don't expect really an ideological component to this. But what Sinclair does is they produce uh, these segments on the national level and feed them out to all of the local stations and require them to run uh, these mm. segments. So you have these uh, terrorism alert segments that are basically designed to get people to be afraid of Muslims. You have uh, these uh, segments with a former uh, Trump campaign official talking about how great the president is. Uh, and these are filtered through uh, to all the local stations. Whoa. Now, what we're seeing now, and I think the, the news item, uh, is that uh, Sinclair decided that as a uh, sort of uh, effort to brand uh, their stations, they would require all of their local anchors to produce uh, these spots that basically complain about how the rest of the media provides fake news, but you can come to Sinclair for the real news. Right. But they, so they gave them, they sent out this memo mm -hmm. that they had to read. Yes. Word for word. Um, the, what, what's the name of the site? Deadspin. Deads, Deadspin. Deadspin. Um, did a montage of anchors, multiple anchors in mul multiple stations across the country, word for word, yeah. re uh, reading this memo. Uh, here's what it sounds like. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 Whoa. Talk about it. We weren't right? kidding when we said word for word. No, yeah. word, I mean, for word for word. You can hear word. them, all these different voices, all these different stations. Yeah, we, we tracked this last week. I think we found that uh, 60 different stations in 27 states had uh, read some version uh, of this uh, live read. Um, and, and it's so, almost yeah. like they're doing it at the same time, all these different voices, men, women, right, yeah. all across. And, yeah. and the purpose is very obvious, right? They're trying to delegitimize all other sources of news and get people coming back to uh, a station that is willing to provide uh, basically propaganda for the president. Yeah. This is 1984, right? I mean, this is... <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And we, word you know, we, for word. And we have uh, a an administration in office that is using the regulatory powers of the FCC to make it easier for uh, companies like Sinclair to expand. 
to uh, merge with other companies to uh, something that they're uh, that they are I, I believe considering right now is removing a regulation that requires these stations to have local studios, um, which means you can eventually end up with like one. Uh, studio serv- uh, and and one oh. uh, sort of set of talent servicing yeah, you know, half a dozen different sure. Uh, sure. network yeah. uh, local broadcast stations across a state. Um, you know, it's very bad for, uh, as they said, it is very bad for the democracy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not. They didn't mean it that yeah. way, but <laughs> but and it's you know it, it's it's bad for uh, the sort of uh, for the reporters themselves, right? I mean, you can sort of. You can see the tough spot that they are in uh, because across the country, local news has been hammered. Um, you are you are seeing more and more layoffs uh, at the sort of state newspaper level. Um, and so there's I, I would assume a lot of fear that if you try to stand up against uh, the corporate leadership of Sinclair, you are going to get fired and you will not get another job in the media. You know. I just thinking back, right? Um, I mean, I spent about fifteen years in local media, mm-hmm. television in Los Angeles, at KCOP and at K, starting with KABC TV. I, I mean, if anybody had given me a statement and said I wasn't an anchor, but I was a commentator, but I was there with the anchors uh, on the set, anybody had given any of us something and said, you have to read this, we wouldn't have done it. Would just would not have done it. I mean, I know those anchors well enough. They wouldn't, they wouldn't take that crap. What, what are these people thinking and doing? I mean, yeah. is, is it that hard to get a job? I guess, I mean, they I keep their job. It, it might be. be. Yeah. yeah. I, I think one of the, so CNN. doesn't speak well of the company. doesn't speak well of the talent either. No, I mean, me. C, CNN was reporting. Um, they've been doing a lot of great work around this and, and what, uh, they got a, uh, a hold of an email from a news director um, who was like sending this out to uh, the staff of, of the uh, station. Who, and the news director basically said, look, uh, you know, just so that you know, like these, this is a must run. And if it doesn't run, I'm probably going to get fired. Um, so FYI, uh, you know, there's not a, uh, you know, we're, we're I, I think this is why a lot of, sort of the newspapers lately, you've seen a lot of uh, newspapers and websites, you've seen a lot of uh, unionization activity, right? Because uh, the sort of increasingly powerful, increasingly large corporate ownership are not terribly interested in the news product uh, and are willing to uh, be very heavy handed uh, with the staff. Uh, I guess one way to deal with it uh, would be to say, now, um, this is a statement. I'm, uh, this is a statement that I'm. I've been told I have to read. Sure, <laughs> or I'm going to get fired. Right. <laughs> if you say that, then people sort of take it with a grain of salt, right? Yeah. Maybe. Um, well, you, one of the things that part of the story is that, like, they didn't. The, the talent didn't necessarily understand that this was being implemented across the board. They didn't mm-hmm. realize that it was yeah. going to be on all the different stations, right? That it was coming and from so, on high. Right. And so now there are more stories coming out from employees of Sinclair-owned stations that are saying, like, hey, this is really messed up. This is really messed up. And it wasn't presented to me as a thing that, like, we have to do this or else. Yeah. It was just sort of put in there as part of what they had to read. Like well, part of a script, you know. Good for Deadspin for uh, <laughs> putting that montage together. Uh, Matt, we talked before. You uh, did an, an incredibly important report uh, linking Donald Trump's tweets to 
uh, the live live feed on Fox and Friends uh, every morning. Uh, we saw it again yet over the weekend, right? We it's did. Still, yes. It still continues. It is. We we have a sort of. This uh, is over immigration stuff, but. Yeah, and this has sort of reached an inception level strangeness. Um, so uh, on Friday, I believe BuzzFeed put out a report about this uh, caravan of. Yeah. Uh, People coming up from Central America, fleeing through Mexico with the intention of either seeking asylum status in Mexico or in the United States. Um, and Fox News on Sunday morning was uh, basically freaking out about this uh, and saying that, you know, this is this is a total disaster. Mexico needs to do something. We need to stop this. They had an interview with uh, Brandon Judd, who's the head of the Border Patrol Union and is very staunchly pro-Trump. And he was saying, you know, we need to build the wall. We need to uh, get rid of these catch and release policies that are so terrible for, you know, keeping people um, out of the country, we need to ha uh, have you know real legislative action, which will require destroying the nuclear option. And about an hour after that segment, maybe forty-five minutes after that segment, uh, Trump tweets basically the same thing. All of uh, it, all yeah. of it, yeah. Um, with with a little bit of uh, an added falsehood, uh, which is he was claiming that all these people are coming here because to of DACA. Um, which doesn't right. make any sense because DACA applies to people who have been in the United States since 2007. You have to have been here for 11 years, so you can't. No one's coming and you here. You had to come here younger than when you were younger than 16, right? Yeah, and they so cannot his, come in and join the DACA program. No, and so which you know, he destroyed anyway, right? And he, <laughs> but and he's claiming, okay, now the DACA deal is off, um, even though he was yeah. the one who sort of made the DACA deal not possible by you know, requiring by, yeah, by first no, saying that he would accept he anything and right. then saying I need to get everything for my immigration policy in order to do this. So uh, he starts, he does sort of a tweet storm yesterday morning and then this morning. Uh, Easter, Fox, morning. On Easter, Easter morning. Easter morning, right. After the first tweet, mm -hmm. happy Easter, and then followed by a series of tweets all attacking, you know, and, and then Mexico. literally com complains about uh, the, about immigrants while walking into church on Easter walking Sunday. Walking into church on Easter Sunday, he sort of reprises the tweets because, and he's, but again, he's walking into church on Easter Sunday. I don't re ever remember a president stopping to talk to reporters about anything else while walking into church. Do you? I mean, I don't. It's, seriously, it's a, I mean, it's, it's just, a very strange thing. And so, yeah, so this morning, but particularly with this message, here right. he is walking into a Bethesda by the sea or whatever it is. Mexico has got to help us at the border. And a lot of people are coming in because they want to take advantage of DACA. Yeah, as you point out, which is a non sequitur, right? I mean, it is, it's, it's, it, it, he doesn't know the program. There's actually a, a reporter who's traveling with uh, this caravan and who asked uh, the people there, like, you, is this is this what's happening? And they li they literally laughed at the reporter and said, no, we're, we wouldn't be eligible for DACA. We all know this. So, I mean, they know better than the president of the United States how the program works. He is just fundamentally uninterested in yeah. learning anything about policy, which makes negotiations basically impossible. So you started to say today, I haven't even right. been following so this brief. Today, uh, Fox and Friends is covering uh, oh. the president's comments uh, from yesterday. Uh, and so the president is tweeting again about the same issue, uh, talking about, uh, you know, DACA and the need to uh, mm -hmm. get rid of uh, the filibuster. And so what we have here is the president responding to a Fox and Friends segment about the president responding to a Fox and Friends <laughs> segment. We are 
we are thoroughly in the the second or third level of the inception. My head hurts, man. Mexico has the absolute power not to let these large caravans of people enter their country, country. They must stop them at the northern border, he goes on and on about. And the nuclear option. and uh, Right. Yeah, right. So um, I, we said before, producers of Fox and Friends, they're running the country. Right. And, you know, you, you actually see this filter out. I mean, you know, all, now everyone is talking about the president's sort of immediate reaction to Fox and Friends segments, right? It is, it is a major news story that is going to uh, be covered instead of things that might otherwise be covered. Right. He, he is yep. steering the narrative based on Fox's And we have to coverage. keep coming back, I think, to pointing out, as you did, as you did, the Dreamers program was in place, Daka. It was working. Donald Trump wrecked it. Right. And, and ended it, basically. Sent it to Congress and said, you either do this in six months or there's going to be no more program. In the meantime, we're not going to accept uh, any new. So it was working fine until they just started. And then it, you're right. At first, said, I love the Dreamers. I want to help them out. Just Congress just has to pass something to make it official, to give it legal status. But then, but then that warped into no. Okay, I'll help the Dreamers if you give me my 24 billion for the wall. Right. And that's where what he says right now. Democrats won't make a deal. No, you're right. They won't give him 24 billion for the wall. I think they actually were willing to give him the 24 billion. At one time, they they were were willing to also give him a series of other uh, immigration policies. I mean, it was basically like the full Stephen Miller package. He wanted everything in exchange for something that theoretically he supported, right? Right. So his position is so incoherent now because he is simultaneously. Killed the killed uh, DACA. Said that he wanted to help the Dreamers. Demanded a lot of policy stuff in exchange for helping the Dreamers, and now is saying he doesn't want to help them at doesn't all. Want to so help them at all. Right. I I don't know how you negotiate with that at all. But I guess this does prove one point: that Donald Trump, as he said last week, doesn't feel that he needs a new communication director. <laughs> well, you know, if 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 this. Uh, if, if this keeps up, the, if the advertiser book keeps up, Laura Ingram will be available. <laughs> so, White House Communications Director Laura Ingram. Let me tell you something. <coughs> Going to the briefings as often as I do and or just following what comes out of the White House, which we do 24-7, if anybody needs a communication director, it's Donald <laughs> Trump. And, and, and he needs a communication director that he listens to. Also, well, but right? that person doesn't exist, so no, no. you know you you can't he, he will not be controlled in any sort of real way. I mean, the problem is him, right? The problem is not like Absolutely. the communications director can't I mean, do a he, good job. Like, does, what are you going to do? He does believe he does not need a chief of staff. Mm-hmm. He said that also. He does not need a communications director. He does not need a lawyer, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't need anybody because he knows it all and he's the best at it all, and he'll do whatever the hell he wants anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's not really interested in like listening to the expertise of anybody else because you know he's Donald Trump. Who who are you to tell him what to do? Talk about an unguided missile, right? I'll tell you, he probably won't replace Ronnie Jackson at the White House. Why would he? Why would he? He's I mean, his, he can bring in. Uh, he's his, no, he's his own doctor. <laughs> he, he can bring in uh, what's his name? The his personal doctor that said that. Oh, uh, the guy oh, from yeah. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> Vinny Boombots, whatever his name is. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. He said he would be the healthiest president in the history of the country. I forgot right? that guy's name, but yeah. Yeah, you know who right. I'm talking about. But Move of course, over Teddy Roosevelt. But of course, 
Ronnie Jackson said just about the same thing yeah. when he when he after he examined him and said he had uh, such great genes that he could live to be two hundred and twenty or something like that. Oh man, I'm telling you, it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> Thank God for Media Matters. That Media Matters is on it, uh, cutting through all of this uh, nonsense. So you can uh, follow, of course, Matt and uh, all the other great people over at Media Matters at mediamatters.org. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having Keep me. Keep at him. Right. You follow, you follow those tweets. I get tired of reading them all. <laughs> Take a quick break. Ben Kamazar talking politics 2018 from The Hill coming up next year on this Monday, April 2nd. Stay with us. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Monday, April 2nd, rolling right along with The uh, Bill Press Show, wrapping up here on this Monday. Good to have you with us. As we boom out to you live uh, from our studio in Washington, D.C., our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and joining you coast to coast online, on the radio, on television. Uh, A little reminder for all of you out in the Chicago area, if you haven't already done so, make your plans to come over on uh, Wednesday evening, 6.30 p.m., out to Darien, Illinois, to the Frugal Muse Bookstore. I'm going to be out there uh, joining with all of you. It's going to be a big crowd, a lot of fun, uh, talking politics, talking 2018, what's happening in Illinois, what's happening around the rest of the country, what are Democratic chances of taking back the House and the Senate, and how we're going to do so, and also uh, what's the latest on my new book, Life in the Crossfire, from the left, Life in the Crossfire, uh, and uh, at Frugal Muse Bookstore again, 6.30 p.m. Um, come on out. Say hello. Want to see you. Have a good time. I'm glad you're getting out there uh, on the book tour stuff. We do still have a problem, and I'm sorry for all the people that, that have the promotional material. Stormy Daniels stole the name of the tour because she's doing a oh. strip club tour, the Make America Horny Again tour, which is what we were going to call your book I tour. I know, I know. but that's And yeah. now we can't. So... That damn Stormy. She's just she's right. stealing all she's stealing all the headlines from me and from Donald Trump. Yeah, right. Yeah, what a right. bummer. Okay. All right. So what shall we call it instead? <laughs> you could sue and you know they're already they're already in court anyway. Maybe they can just yeah. do both at the same time. Make America litigious again. <laughs> right. Anyhow. Wednesday night, wanna see you. Don't miss it. I don't get don't get out of Chicago often enough, so it'll be good to see my, all, all all our good friends out there. Uh, joining us in studio, another good friend, Ben Kamazar, covers uh, national politics for The Hill. Joining us here in studio. Hi, Ben. It's good to see you. Happy Monday. All right. Happy Monday. Happy Easter week and whatever this week is called. So we're. Um, I want to start with, I saw some numbers last week, CNN, a latest poll. They um, take, took a look at how people are feeling about the Congress this year. Uh, who do you think should be controlling the House in uh, in twenty after twenty eighteen, Democrats fifty percent, Republicans come up with forty four percent, which is uh, closer than it's been for a while. What does that mean? Democrats still have a good shot at getting the House, or yeah, I mean, I think it? it's probably one of these things where like the fundamentals here haven't really changed. I mean, you have a charged up Democratic electorate um, or, or, or or independents that want to vote Democrat. Um, you have Republican malaise that's probably a combination of the, just sort of the general historic malaise of, oh, we just won, we're fine, we don't really need to turn out, um, which is what always happens. And also people who are frustrated with the president as well, certainly his um, with an approval rating um, where it is, it's 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 a pretty 
direct line to say that there are certainly Republicans that are not thrilled with the, his direction as well. Um, so the fundamentals I probably had that haven't really changed. You've seen some of the tightening and and. and winding in this generic ballot, what we call it, for a variety of factors, depending on what's going on in the news, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the tax reform, things like that, you know. It, ultimately, though, I think that a lot of this out this far out is kind of a little bit of noise in the sense of you see a couple um, double-digit numbers and everyone freaks out and then it tightens to, about, you know, six or four yeah, and everyone, yeah. and it's, it's just kind of the normal cycle of this because people well, like to come home and people like to t- typically vote. Their party lines. It certainly shows that for Democrats, it's not a slam dunk, right? I mean, they've got a good shot. Looks like there could be the building of a blue wave, but um, they're going to have to work at it. Right? Oh yeah, they've got a lot of work to do. And right? this is the I mean, this is piece of it. This is a piece of it too. Is you know, there are so many ex- in uh, in other com- more complicated factors that this is the general sense. But then when you ask <laughs> someone, you know, what about my congressman? What about my congressman right, who I've right. known and seen at the yeah, local yeah. breakfasts and stuff? It, it gets a little more different. So this is certainly encouraging for Democrats, but it's not the only piece of the puzzle. Uh, it's also not good, certainly, for the Republican Party in the sense that they've had control of the House since 2010. They've had control of both houses for two years, Right. Uh, or three years, I guess now, whatever, and yeah, and uh, and they've had control of the White House and both House of Congress for a year and a half, roughly, and and they're behind in the in the poll, right? The what have you done for me lately? Well, exactly, right, <laughs> right, yeah. What have you actually delivered with all that power? Uh, shows that the American people in generally are not that impressed. But you touched on something which was. Uh, the energy and the momentum. They also asked the enthusiasm question. You really, you know, re- you really excited about your party uh, 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 winning in 2018. And with that, the gap's a little bigger. Uh, 51% Democrats say, "Yeah, right." Really gung ho, excited. 36% of Republicans. So there is an enthusiasm gap. Yeah, and this is an uh, this is a gap. Interestingly enough, that you see in that, local numbers as well. You know, I was out in Pittsburgh for the recent special election for where, where Connor Lamb beat Rick mm-hmm. Saccone, and you saw those numbers um, in polling all throughout that special too. So you can see that you know that's kind of a trend that I think is trickling down even in these national, uh, even in these more local races. That you know, even even when you actually oh, put yeah. up the two yeah. members of Congress, you're still seeing an enthusiasm. Um, an enthusiasm gap that's quite real. Which which is significant because usually in the midterm elections, a Democrat stay home and Republicans come out and vote. Yeah, well, I mean, frankly, some of that has to do now with the fact that you now have a Democrat, or sorry, the Republican in power in the White House, and it's you typically have a more charged up opposition. It's much easier to get um, to get mobilized in opposition to than it is to you know mobilize people again to continue what we're currently doing. Right. You were in uh, Pittsburgh uh, nearby for uh, Pennsylvania 18. Uh, what is the message to Democrats and Republicans out of Connor Lamb's squeaking victory, squeaking out of victory? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the top line is you can, you know, Democrats can win. You can still win. You can still you can still win if you're a Democrat in an R plus 20 um, or in an R plus 20 in a Trump plus 20 district. And Republicans, you can still lose in a Trump plus 20 district. Um, I think ultimately, though, the, the big takeaway from both sides really here is that, the, you know, the candidates really matter. I mean, you look at and it's it's it sounds tired and it sounds, you know, something that you've heard a lot. But frankly, yeah, yeah. you had Connor Lamb, who was basically made in a little factory somewhere for perfect Democratic <laughs> candidates. And he was a military veteran. He he. 
um, pretty solid resume, you know, stuck to the talking points, you know, very strong fundraiser. And on the other side, you had a state representative who was probably further to the right of um, all of the or uh, many of the other people who were running in that, um, I'd say, primary, but really they picked it uh, like sort of an internal party discussion, um, internal party meeting was how they picked their nominee. Um, Saccone was a poor fundraiser. Um, he basically could not get his own message out, so outside groups had to come and prop him up. So really, I think the biggest takeaway and the one that that moves that that works no matter where you are no matter what the dynamics are it's that you, if you don't have a good candidate you're in a lot of trouble right um a, a good candidate and the other thing that Connor Lamb had he sort of had the field to himself right in in Pittsburgh as far as um you mean with advertising in no, the Republican uh, Democrat or uh, on the Democratic side oh Right. Sure. Well, so they had this interesting set, set up on both sides that they didn't actually have a, a open primary, right? It was not mm-hmm. your typical go to the ballot and vote. Yeah. It was a, you know, in party insider type meeting um, that ultimately picked as a conferee process. So that's something that you're not going to have in many of these that's Democratic what I, primaries. That's what I'm getting to. <laughs> I'm got, picking up what you're putting down now. With, with, the, uh, with this enthusiasm, one of the downsides of the enthusiasm is so many people are so excited and they want to run that you've got a lot of Democratic primaries, particularly some in California, in Orange County, where there are so many Democrats that they, they're getting in each other's way. Well, California's crazy, too, because, you know, I think most of your listeners are norm- used to a normal primary where you vote and whoever wins the vote wins. Um, California, it's a jungle primary, which is a, a system that basically takes all of the candidates, Republican, Democrat, Green, Independent, whatever, and the top two move on to a to a runoff general. So the general election could be if the top if it's a Democratic district or like you'll probably see in the Senate race out there, it'll probably be two Democrats running against each other. As that's, it was last yes. time. Yes, and that's great if you're a Democrat. It's really right. bad if you're a Republican. Right. And the problem is, is, you know, in some of these more contested seats where Republicans <laughs> currently hold um, the seat, a Republican incumbent is up for reelection. The question is, will Democratic infighting and, and not infighting maybe too strong a word, but Democratic <laughs> enthusiasm and, and, you know, the broad well, variety of choices. Competition. Among, yeah. yeah. Will that cut? Will that cut the party's chances? So you've got like four Democrats that all get 10 percent. You know, that's 40. And then you've got two Republicans split 60 the rest of the way for 30 and 30, then you have a Republican and Republican in the runoff, and Democrats are out of luck. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though they should be able to win the seat, but they can't get because of the, the way the jungle primary works, because there were too many candidates. Yeah. If one of them, just one of them, or even two of them, at, at any rate. So I don't know what you can do about that other than, uh, I mentioned last week, if you had a state chair who would go in and break a couple of arms and legs and get people out of the race... Well, that's the thing is you've seen. There was a state chair at one time uh, <laughs> who might have done that, but he's no longer there. <laughs> but there's this concern that that type of tactics could backfire now in this sort of you know pushback oh. against the party age that you know you saw the the Democratic uh, Congressional Campaign Committee um, came in in Texas and said you know we don't believe that this person um, is yeah. you know uh, is a strong enough candidate to win, um, and they did that. Turns out. She moved on to the runoff because people all kind of rallied right. around and backlash. So it's 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 yeah. kind of a difficult proposition. It's you know kind of have to just kind of see what happens. So it's a front page story in the Washington Post yesterday. I'm sure you saw that the Democrats are really um, messed up right now because they can't decide for all these races. Are we going to run a Bernie guy or a Hillary person? Right. I mean that this is still the split between how how far left we go to win. Right. Well, I don't 
you know me, I'm, <laughs> you can't go too far left for me. But isn't the answer, again, back to Connor Lamb, you run the candidate who can win in that district? I mean that's that's their safest bet, right? You know that's it, it's yeah. like candidates. When I said candidates matter, I mean Connor Lamb wouldn't win a Democratic primary or a you know Democratic or sorry or a even an, a general election in every district in the country. There are a lot of districts where he would get killed for not being to the left, I mean, not being far left enough. I mean it yeah. just you right. have four hundred and thirty five districts and they all kind of have different wants and needs and, and electors. I think you know you're seeing a lot of candidates that are coming out that are trying to. to that's sort of the the ethos of their campaign is trying to say I fit this district, and you know the argument um, against the Republican incumbent is you know that they've drifted further away. So it's the tension I think in a lot of these districts that um, I think it is right that you probably have the strongest candidates, the one that ultimately fits the district, whatever that means on on issues like gun control or on health care or on Nancy Pelosi or whatever you have. That's not the same prescription across the country. You, yeah. I mean, you have to say just without naming names, but the same kind of Democrat who could win in Alabama, a Doug Jones, or in West Virginia, or or in North Dakota, Heidi Heitkamp or Joe Manchin, right? They're not that, – that Democrat is not going to win in California or New York or Massachusetts or Connecticut. But at the same time, those people are not going to win in those states, Right. I mean, to, to me, it's a it's a, it's pretty pretty easy to figure this out. But it seems that a lot of people in the in the Democratic Party are having real angst over it. Today. Yeah, I think at the same time, the question is sort of you know what what fits the district, right? Because then you have you can have two or three candidates that all have a right. different definition of their own candidacy and different definition of what the district is because they're looking at their base within the district, and that's what they say fits the district, and that doesn't necessarily. Work so you know it's it, it's there are a lot of different ways to to skin the cat here. Uh, at the same time, this there the, 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 the last week's edition of the Nation magazine had a great rundown. I thought of um, for looking at twenty eighteen, uh, and the point of it was, yeah, these Senate races are important. Yes, these congressional races are important, but man, these state legislative races and governors' races are paramount and party may not be paying enough attention to them. You know, I think it's in the last eight years, 900 and over 900, 938 or something like that. State legislative seats flipped from Democrat to Republican under Barack Obama's watch. And the number of governors went down like by 15 or something like that, right? The number of state legislatures that are now controlled by Republicans. I mean, they did that deliberately and they won. Uh, And... um, and now we're gearing up, they won, meaning in 2010, we're able to do the reapportionment. Now we're gearing up to a 2020 uh, reapportionment. Uh, and unless Democrats really focus on those state legislative seats, they're going to be, Republicans are going to be drawing the lines again. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was, I mean, one of the most interesting and probably undercovered at the time stories in the Obama administration was um, the DNC was sort of set up as a presidential vehicle at that point. Um, you know, everything looked on the surface for Democrats going great, you know, health care, well, I guess, you know, probably right. the breaks, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, health care, we have, you know, like, oh, we have all these people in Congress, we have, we have majorities on both sides, we have the presidency, and you kind of just move on on autopilot, and Republicans said, wait a second, we can take advantage of this, and they dumped a ton of money and a ton of research and a ton of 
people and boots on the ground, and they won back a lot of these districts. And you know, these are dis- frankly, these are the laws that are you know, in a lot of cases, you know, these are the things that are hitting you on a day to day basis, your state, your local um, municipality, um, but also the fact that you know, state legislatures draw the um, draw the lines for um, House and Senate. So. Um, ultimately, if you have a Republican-controlled House and Senate in a state, they're going to draw a very different map than a Democratic-controlled sure. House and Senate. Um, so it really it, it it matters on so many levels. And you're seeing, you know, there's been um, there's been some movement as far as Democrats trying to you know bring this back to the spotlight. You got Eric Holder, the former Attorney General. His group is mainly focused on these governor's races and state house and senate races so you're seeing a democratic infrastructure build up but republicans have been doing a lot better at this for a lot longer so the question is um how how much um can democrats break through do you remember how much money was spent in georgia six for john ossoff god it was tens of millions i don't remember the number off the top of my head yeah you know tens of millions for sure it was a lot that's all i (laughs) I was thinking of 30 million maybe that could be right it was record-breaking. Yeah, whatever, whatever it, was. it was. Yeah. I guess the point I was going to make is, so Democrats spent $30 million in that race. Re- the Republican red map thing, where they went in and took control of all of these state legislators and governorships and were able, therefore able to win the reapportionment battle and, and, and write those districts. The total amount they spent nationwide, I think it was 16 states, was $30 million. And and Democrats blew it all on, on one congressional seat and lost it. Well, that's the thing is these legis- now talk about getting more bang for your buck. Yeah, because people aren't paying attention to these legislative races. Exactly. To the same level. You don't exactly. have to. You can spend five thousand dollars and yeah. actually have it be yeah. meaningful. Yes. In a yes. State. Yes. Yeah. So if you took that thirty, they could, uh, you know, take a little more this year. But whatever they would spend in one of these really hotly contested, con- just forget the congressional seat. Go out there and win the state legislatures back. And they'd be a stronger form. I'm, I'm not running the party, but uh, you're like seven blocks away from the people that do. So maybe uh, after, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, they're going to they're going to figure it out uh, on their own. Uh, one thing that we have um, we've seen a lot lately. I didn't I didn't realize uh, until I've seen so much coming out of Republican candidates lately that uh, Hillary Clinton is on the ballot again this year. Oh yeah, well because it's the similar way with Nancy Pelosi. I think it's. These, you know, Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi have been shorthand for so long for everything that Republicans and many independents don't like about the Democratic Party. Um, it's just sort of a shorthand way, at least in, in Pelosi, as you know, in Pelosi's case, it's a shorthand way. I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but it's sort of the our argument is, you know, a way to say, you know, too liberal Hollywood, you know, big money, you know, rich, you know. People telling you what to do, you know that's that's the Nancy San Pelosi. Francisco liberal exactly, and then with with Hillary Clinton, you have this you know this politician who's been villainized as you know, sort of the the face of the Democratic Party for years, and with a Democratic Party that doesn't have a sort of you know clear central boogeyman anymore, um, there's a lot of success in going back um, and attacking her anyway because it's just the easiest way to make that sort of. Same arguments that you've been making about the Democratic Party, um, because you know if you threw in like a Tom Perez or some of these newer faces, it doesn't resonate that much. People people know Hillary Clinton, and if frankly for a Republican voter, you don't you 
know you don't like Hillary Clinton. And I think you're seeing a lot of um, success and a lot of, um, but more importantly, you know, effort being pushed on this, specifically in red states. So states that have a Senate um, race up with maybe maybe have a Democratic senator, like, you know, some ones you mentioned, Claire McCaskill, Heidi Heitkamp, but in states where Trump won by double digits. Yeah, so these are right. Republican voters that have been willing to cross the line. But now people are, you know, the attempt has been trying to remind them of Clinton and, you know, side of. Yeah, and I guess we shouldn't be surprised about it because Donald Trump is still running against Hillary Clinton, so um, it's sort of a— He's not going to stop. And he won't stop, and it's a license for every other Republican to run against her, run against her too. Yeah. Um, one thing I mentioned—come uh, back to the um, reapportionment uh, and the importance of the state legislators, uh, legislative seats, again, which is related. I mentioned this is all building up to the 2020 census. And now, related to that, right— um, the Trump administration has decided uh, they're going to add this question to the census, are you or are you not uh, a citizenship citizen of the United States? This is all part, this is a political question, isn't it? I mean, this is all part, of, or would you agree, of, of uh, what they, of, of their efforts to, uh, the kind of lines that they draw? Well, I mean, you certainly have seen a Republican um, effort for years to sort of, you know, to, to push, you know, to, to, I guess, to take control over, not take control, but to sort of, you know, have a more advantageous way of drawing the lines. I think, you know, when you saw the uh, citizenship question introduced, the argument was, you know, we need this as the Justice Department in order to, you know, help with uh, Voting Rights Act, voting rights things act, like yeah. that. You know, mm, but which then they've you, been so supportive of. But then, you know, the flip side is, you know, very quickly you had a bunch of, you know, former officials saying we've never actually needed this specific data because we have other data at our disposal. I mean, you know, the, the concerns among Democrats and the concerns among those who are, are raising the alarms are, are just that. I mean, you have um, the citizenship question in and of itself is not directly dangerous because um, the census is not allowed to share that information with anyone. So if, if you right, you know, mm-hmm. I, if you if you check, well, no, I'm not a citizen and you are undocumented, that information is not going to go anywhere under the bounds of the law. But the concern in theory. So that's the concern, argue, right? Argue in so theory. The yes. census has been good at, at clamping down any access over you know decades to the, the information because, you know, those questions have been asked on smaller surveys before. And that information, to our knowledge, has never gotten out. However, you know, there's still fear that when you, you know, for the immigrant community, when you put all of what, you know, is going on in the news together um, and certainly, you know, the, the concerns about anti-immigrant sentiment, there's a real concern and one that's been demonstrated in studies that people would choose to not answer that question. And, um, you know, in, in concern and in fear that that information might come back to bite them. And ultimately, that is what a lot of people are that, that that's going to lead to. And most most people agree an undercount. Of these po- of these populations, uh, these undocumented populations, which could have a lot of an impact, specifically on federal aid. That's done. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. federal aid yeah. is allocated by you know oh. population, and it's we're not just talking undocumented; we're also talking you know legal permanent resident. That's also not a citizen. Um, but so there's a lot of moving parts here, and I think that there's a lot of concern that an undercount that do, you know this question would degrade the data that the census gets, and that could cause an undercount that could have a ripple effect from you know. Under, um, from federal aid to what you were talking about with a port reapportionment. Uh, on a non-political question, but of an important policy question, you've been covering this as well. We saw uh, last week a lot of the news was consumed by news about police shootings in Baton Rouge. That was a couple of years ago. And then just recently in Sacramento, California, with Stefan Clark, 
Um, and the reaction to the Trump of the Trump administration has been a kind of curious one. Uh, unlike the Obama administration, which said these the police shootings, um, particularly of young unarmed uh, unarmed African Americans, is a real national problem. We have to have a national policy to deal with this. Work with police departments to come up with some new guidelines. The Trump administration's response. So they see this as an almost a direct quote uh, as a local issue is the language they've been using. I mean, I think the Obama comparison is interesting because the Obama administration's Justice Department would look at these shootings, whether you know Michael Brown um, in mm-hmm. Ferguson, Tamir Rice in Cleveland, two examples off you know top of my head. And what they would do is they would say, you know, we think that this is endemic of something bigger. So they would go in and investigate. And in both those cases, they came up with these consent decrees, which are basically, you know, the Justice Department is saying we have found a record of systemic racism or or misuse of force, et cetera. Um, And then that sort of that one event turns into a court enforceable decree to clean up your act on the broad um, level. Mm -hmm. So I think the local concern argument by the by the Justice Department now is sort of pushing the, the complete opposite side of that and saying, you know, we don't want to look into these because we're concerned about anything that would infringe on the rights of police officers to so do their we'll jobs. So the, we'll let the local police departments figure it out what the, how they're going to handle it. Yeah, which is a really hands-off approach to a uh, uh, serious national problem, I believe. Uh, great work at The Hill, thehill.com. Ben Kemisar. Thanks, Ben. Thanks yeah, for coming thanks. in. Have a great Monday, folks. This We're here tomorrow. Come on Bill back and join Chris us. Show.